Amen. Get out your Bible if you have one. We're going to continue worshiping God by listening to him speak to our hearts through his word. And um, I'm excited. We're in Thessalonians, and today we're going to be thinking about this passage that talks about this idea that's throughout the Bible called the day of the Lord. Everybody say the day of the Lord. Yeah, so uh, the day of the Lord is an important Old Testament idea. And, uh, and then we see it in the New Testament where Jesus, it's referred to as in Christ, it's referred to the day of Jesus or the day of the Lord Jesus. And so in the Old Testament, it's the day of the Lord, New Testament, the day of the Lord Jesus. And then, uh, and then we're going to see uh, this, this idea that, uh, that it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen really suddenly. So just hang on to that. I want to make you aware of a couple of things going on uh, in the life of our church that are very important. Uh, First of all, starting December 1st, which is the first Sunday of the Advent season. Advent means coming. And so we we celebrate as a Christian community uh, Advent, remembering the first coming of Christ in in his birth, of course, leading up to Christmas. But it also creates anticipation in us longing in us toward the second coming of Christ. Um, And uh, we're going to do something this year called Advent Conspiracy. And so uh, what it includes is an opportunity for us to think about where we can, where we as a church can do something special like a project. And so what we have in mind as leaders is that we're going to take up an offering and and give uh, money to help with the work that we're a part of in Ecuador. And we're still figuring out what it's going to be, but it's probably going to be something along the lines of supporting the programs that they have there to help young moms in their um, training, uh, training them to know how to care for their babies, uh, and then also giving them proper nutrition and things like that. So that, some of that's still developing, but just so you know that's coming. And another piece of Advent is, is this idea of spending less, so spend less, give more. So worship fully, spend less, give more. And, and so we're going we're gonna to challenge each other to, to spend less at Christmas. And, and that doesn't mean don't buy anything for anybody, but it does mean to be intentional about, okay, maybe, maybe there's a place of gift giving that when it gets beyond that is, is unnecessary. And so like we as a family have already said, we're going to, um, we're going to think about ways to gift, give, give gifts to our family members and to each other that may not require spending. So what about a craft project and things like that? So just, just to put that out there, uh, we, we, want to, we want to look forward to the second coming of Christ, the second advent, as we celebrate the first coming of Christ, Christmas, uh, through this expression of worship called Advent Conspiracy. So just so you know, that's, I want to make you aware of this is the first year we've done Advent Conspiracy, and it's going to be really, really awesome. One cool thing about it is that two of the Sundays that we're having Advent Conspiracy, uh, there, are, there are two different, Robbie C. is going to be back leading worship, and Robbie was a part of the church that, with a few other churches, started this idea of Advent Conspiracy, so he has a sense of kind of how to handle it in worship. Uh, it's going to be really cool. And then Matt and Cameron Hammond, another uh, group of worship leaders, they're a married couple and they're worship leaders. They're going to be with us next week and then also in December leading us through this Advent season. So it's going to be really, really awesome. All right? How many, um, how many veterans do we have in here? Raise your hand if you're a veteran. We have a few. Greg is up here, I know. Um, Carl Jarvis is a 
veteran. Rob Campbell is a veteran. We have at least three. Any others in the tomorrow is Veterans Day? And so I do want to just take a minute and just acknowledge you all and say thank you for your service. And uh, we, we are very appreciative of it. We, we realize that the liberty that we have here to worship freely is uh, God has used uh, in some way those that have fought on behalf of our country for our freedoms. And so thank you for your service. Um, I have quite a few um, military types in my own family. And um, so I really appreciate you all. Thank you. Uh, open up your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If you do not have a Bible, just raise up your hand. And uh, my man Giovanni will get you one. There's a couple here in the front, here in the middle. Uh, and then uh, if you have one of the Bibles that we pass out, I actually am using a different Bible today, but it's a, I, don't, I don't know the page number. 700 and something, something. So 1 Thessalonians Look it up real quick, Giovanni, and tell me what page number it's on. Bible drill, go. What is it? 987. Okay, very good. 987, so flip open to that page. First Thessalonians chapter 5, so big 5, little 1 is where we're going to be. Uh, this passage is so important. Uh, last week, Brandon uh, preached on this, this hope that we have that all those that are dead in Christ shall rise. So there's, there's a hope an eternal hope for those that are in Christ. And I listened to Brandon's sermon, uh, and it was stellar. I told him one of the best sermons I've heard in a long time. The guy's a gifted preacher. I'm glad to have him on our team. Um, well, well, this week, Paul moves to this, this part that's really a solemn warning to people. Uh, this part is about this day of the Lord, which speaks to the Lord's return and how unpredictable the timing of it will be. So the main idea, what I really want you to get is that the eschatological, how's that for a word that not many of us understand? It, it means like last things, the, 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 the last things hope. The hope that we have about last things, it's not an excuse for idling, but it's an incentive for action, and especially for mutual aid. So the idea that Jesus will return, and it is going to be sudden, it shouldn't be an excuse for us just to wait around. It should be an incentive for us to act, for us to live in a certain way. Okay? So here we are, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, 1 through 11. So stand to your feet. I'm going to read these passages, and then I'm going to have to teach them quickly. If it gets past your allotted church time, just get up and walk out. It's all good. Okay, here we go. Um, now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. What he's saying there is, we've already talked about this. I've already told you about this. But I'm going to tell you something again. Verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord. Everybody say, day of the Lord. Let's say it with some thunder, people. The day of the Lord. Lord. Okay, very good. Yeah, now we're getting all like Pentecostal up in this place. All right, here we go. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. I wonder if anybody's ever gone into labor while a preacher was preaching this passage. (laughs) Anybody out there? We've already... 
Amy's right over here. She's our, I think that's right. That, yeah, you're Amy. Hard to see because of light, but she's our most recent new mom. Congratulations, by the way. Um, so exciting. Uh, where's the baby? Luke's got him in the back? Okay, good. All right, very good. All right, here we go. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This idea of the day of the Lord, as I mentioned, it's an Old Testament, uh, has Old Testament beginnings. Some Old Testament prophets talked about this day. Here's what one says. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with anger and fierce wrath, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. I mean, this sounds like an encouraging kind of a day, right? For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. This is the day of the Lord. Another prophet says it this way. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. This day of the Lord was a day when Yahweh, God, would vindicate his righteous cause and execute impartial judgment. It's a future period where God will work in world affairs more directly and dramatically than has ever been seen since Jesus walked on the earth. It's a significant day. We can all think of important days in our lives, right? There are some important days coming up in the life of our church. Just next weekend, we have two in our church getting married, Jessica and Andrew. And maybe downstairs working with the kids. I get to be a part of that wedding, which is going to be really cool. That's an important day. We also, in two weeks, Greg and Mona have their daughters getting married. Hannah, we're, congratulations to you all. It's an important day. And then wouldn't you know it, in the next weekend, Miss Mary Miller, her son Donald is, is getting, yes, <laughs> is getting married. And so uh, Jeannie and I are going to uh, accompany Mary uh, to that wedding as guests. And, uh, you know, when we think about days like weddings, coming up. You prepare for them. You think about them. In a lot of ways, when you have them in view, it affects your behavior. You know, you try to maybe eat a little healthier so you look a little better in that, in that, that outfit for the wedding. Uh, you, you spend your money a little more differently, especially if you're paying for a wedding, <laughs> right? Uh, it affects how you act, knowing that the day 
of the wedding is coming. Well, here the Bible talks about this day of the Lord. And what Paul wants the Thessalonians to think about is how knowing that the day of the Lord is coming ought to affect their behavior. But here's what something he says about that's so interesting. Um, It will come like a thief in the night. I mean, Miss Mary, you know the day of your son's wedding. You've planned for it. You're ready for it. But this day of the Lord, this day in the future where God will begin executing judgment, will be restoring all that's been broken, all that's wrong, he will make right. For those that are in Christ, they'll be receiving the full inheritance of their salvation. For those that are separated from Christ, they will receive what they deserve, which is condemnation and separation from God in a place called hell. This day will come Suddenly, for people living in the New Testament times, first century, they thought that this day of the Lord would come back in their lifetime, would happen in their lifetime. They lived like that. In fact, some in Thessalonica uh, quit their jobs and they were just kind of sitting around waiting idly for this day of the Lord. And Paul has already dealt with them and he said, no, no, don't do that. You need to be busy working. You need to be about your business and the daily chores of your life. But you ought to live knowing that the day of the Lord is coming. It is soon and you better be ready. Because when the day of the Lord comes, you won't have time in that day to make a different kind of decision for your life. The day of the Lord is referred to in the New Testament also as the day of Christ, or the day of Jesus Christ, or the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus will be judged in the day of the Lord. Acts 17, chapter, or chapter 17, verse 30 says, Now God commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We know that there will be a day of the Lord. We're given confidence in his return because he was raised from the dead. It will come like a thief in the night, unexpectedly. People will be saying there's peace and security, but they'll realize that there's no peace and no security apart from Jesus Christ. Verse four, Paul says, but you are not in darkness. I love it how he gets in pastor mode here. He's maybe struck fear in their hearts as they've read this about this day of the Lord. They're uncertain about how they're to respond. Should they, should they walk around panicked the whole time? No. For those that are in Christ, listen, verse four, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. I love this language in the New Testament that describes those that are in Christ as children of the light, those that are separated from Christ as children of the darkness, people of the darkness. John chapter 12, verse 36. While you have the light, walk in the light, that you may become sons of light. I love that. Ephesians 5, 8. Once you were in darkness, Lawton described what that felt like. But now you're in, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul says in Romans, 
your brothers. You're not in darkness. This should encourage those of you that are in Christ. And Paul's using these words to encourage those very first listeners to his letter. We are not children of the night. We're not people of darkness. So we shouldn't panic as we think about the day of the Lord or be fearful. But there certainly is a way to live. Now, I ought to mention, because he references here this idea of getting drunk, getting drunk at night. This is not a passage about whether or not it's okay to take a drink of alcohol. Now, this certainly is a passage that illustrates something about alcohol. Alcohol, excessive use of alcohol, clouds your thinking, causes you to, uh, it, 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 it clouds your understanding of what is present reality, which is why some people drink heavily, because they don't want to deal in their reality. This isn't an indictment on taking a drink of alcohol, but this is saying that you ought to live clear-headed, be sober, don't, don't let yourself get confused about how you ought to live in view of the day of the Lord coming, and it will come suddenly. Are we to panic? No. Look at verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him." Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I love, I love this part. Just, just hang with me here as a nerd out a little bit on the original language. So, so this, um, this idea of let us be sober, it's, it's, this, it's this sense of like possibility. Like, hey, there's a possibility that we could live clear-headed with, with quiet hearts. We, there, there's this is a possibility. And he says, since we belong to the, let us be sober. Let us live, live like this. And the words, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, what this describes, it's hard to capture in the English language, but it describes this thing that's happened in the past. It's a past completed action. Something has happened. We've done something. Something has been done in us. And so we can live sober lives. We can live with quiet hearts, peaceful hearts, We can be people who know that the day of the Lord is coming, but we don't have to be afraid of it. We can be active in the mission of God, what he's called us to do, knowing that it could happen tomorrow. Isn't that that wild to think? Jesus could return this afternoon. What would he find in our lives? What is on the throne of our lives that we're, what is the thing that we're giving worship to? What are we giving ourselves to? Would he be pleased? Jesus could return like that. That's how those first first century Christians thought and lived and Paul wanted them to think and live. We, gotta be, we can live so clear-headed. So let us live self-controlled. We don't have to be out of control. We don't, we don't have to think irrationally about what the future holds or what it might be like when, when Jesus returns, when the day of the Lord arrives. 
Because at some point in the past, we chose to put on this armor, the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. I mean, how do we prepare for the day of the Lord? We put on this armor. And the armor, as Paul describes, has three pieces in this passage. There are other passages that describe more pieces, but just for this. The breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. This is why we can live sober, self-controlled, rational lives. We don't have to be panicked for those of you that are in Christ. Now, those of you that are not in Christ... You don't have a breastplate of faith and love. You don't have that helmet of salvation. You're unprotected. You will stand before Almighty God and be judged for your life. And you say, I'm a good person. I promise you it's not good enough. You probably are a good person in the world's standards. But compared to a holy God, you'll never meet that standard. It's an impossible standard, which is why God became flesh in the form of a man named Jesus, laid his life on the cross to die for people that on their best day were never good enough. Those of us that are in Christ, we've acknowledged, I cannot in my own strength, with my own good behavior, meet this standard of perfection and holiness and righteousness that God has set out apart from Christ. So we say, I choose to accept what God has done for me in Christ. I choose to accept the righteousness of Christ. And the Bible says there's a mysterious exchange where our sin goes to him at the cross. His righteousness comes to us. So when you stand before God someday, he doesn't see you as unrighteous, unclean, imperfect. He sees you as a righteous child of God. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the Bible. For those that have received that, have believed it, and begun running hard after God, as Lawton said, it's like they've taken this breastplate of faith and love to protect them. They have on their head a helmet that is the hope of salvation. I I want to be very clear here. Here is how things work. Here is the order of things. The gospel is preached. People say what I just said, and that is that in Christ there is forgiveness for sins, and you can be a child of God. God wants to forgive you of your sin. God wants to meet you where you are. God offers to you these these pieces of armor, the breastplate of faith and love and and a hope for salvation, and you receive it. You put it on. The the language here gives this this picture of a king who puts on his robe and sinks into it. It becomes personal to him. We receive this, this salvation. We sink into it. And we get to live sober lives because we don't have to worry about what's going to happen when the day of the Lord comes. For those that are in Christ. Verse 9 of chapter 5. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. This idea of whether we are awake or asleep, it means that whenever Jesus returns, whether or not you're dead, your body's in the ground, or you're living, you get to live with Christ. 
You get to experience life with Christ. This is a beautiful idea in the New Testament. It's one reason we talk about mission in this way. We're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. So this isn't just about not going to hell when you die. This is about a kind of life that you can live now. You can live a sober, self-controlled, heart that's quiet kind of life now. Even though you know that there will be a day when God is returning to execute judgment, you can live like that now because of your hope of salvation. And I love here what he says in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In the 1830s, there's a famous preacher by the name of John Henry Newman who used these words in a sermon, which I think are really um, powerful. Up to the time that Christ came in the flesh, which is what we're about to celebrate at Advent and Christmas, the course of things ran straight toward that end. So all of history was taking one step, two steps, three steps towards the place where God would become flesh in the form of a man named Jesus. In just the right time, the scripture says, God became flesh in the form of this man and the kingdom of God was ushered in. But since then, all of history has been running alongside um, this point that we call the day of the Lord. And so it's as if the edge of this stage was the point that the day of the born in history that the day of the Lord is going to come. So All of history was moving towards this time that Jesus is going to come. Jesus comes, dies on a cross, raises from the dead. The gospel that declares, heralds that in Christ you can have forgiveness for your sin is spreading throughout the earth, even as we speak. And history no longer moves forward, but it moves along. It's like moving along the edge of this point. It could be tomorrow. It could be the next day. It could be It's just just one moment. This is how close to the edge of eternity we are. We're right on the edge of it. When is the day of the Lord going to be? Well, we better live like it's going to be this afternoon. That begins to change things. That begins to awaken our hearts to action. Now, some, as I mentioned in Thessalonica, were just kind of like, okay, well, let's just hang back. They sat down on the edge of history and waited for Jesus to come. Paul said, no, there's work to be done. The gospel needs to move forward. There are people in your life who've never heard about Jesus in a way that's compelling and true. There are people in our city who have never heard about Jesus in a way that's compelling and true and honest and real. Some of the people around you who claim to have rejected the gospel have never seen it actually impact and transform somebody's life. They're waiting for you. This day of the Lord is just one moment away. It's not an excuse for idling, but it's an incentive for action. And we must encourage one another in this way. I love this verse 11. We are to encourage one another in this way. I pray that you will. I'd like to end with an illustration that mentions uh, my Iron Man that I did last week. Um, I've been waiting all week to tell a story about my Iron Man, and I promised myself I wouldn't just make my whole sermon about it, so I haven't. So bear with me. Um, Last week, and I appreciate so many of you text messaged and emailed and called and said, you know, 
or with you, we're praying with you, you watch me on the internet like cross over the line and then almost fall over. Um, it was an incredible experience. And here, here's the thing, let me just say this. For me, um, this journey of really what's been three years to prepare for this Ironman uh, represents a larger story in my life. So although it was challenging physically, it really, for me, what compelled me along the way was how closely it resembled this spiritual journey in my life where I essentially got up off the couch spiritually and I went for it and planted the church. And frankly, preparing for an Ironman has been much easier than planting a church. Um, but both of them share so many things. And so I was, I was in the race. I got out of the water a little quicker than I thought I would. I, the bike was a little faster than I hoped for. So I was on the run. Well, actually, I came out of transition too, and for the first time I saw my family. And when you're hurting, and I'm staring down the road of a 26-mile run, after being in the water for an hour and a half and then on my bike for six hours. I took that first step and my right foot hurt really bad. I'd injured it prior to the race. And uh, the first step I knew was going to be tough. And so I'm on this run and I make it to about mile 19. And then I step into what I describe as the pain cave. And between mile 19 and mile 23, for those, uh, for those few miles, for those five miles... I was hurting. I mean, I was hurting. And you never know what's going to happen to you physically uh, or mentally when you begin to hurt physically in that kind of a way. At mile 23, I took an extended walk, an extra minute of walk. And it was during that minute that I had this little conversation with myself that went a little something like this. Russell, the finish line is just up ahead. You can walk the rest of the way. Take it easy the rest of the way. And you, you'll cross the finish line. Or you can think about the finish line and the inevitable words that every triathlete longs to hear these words, you are an Iron Man. I begin to think about those words, hearing them. And all of a sudden, the pain that I felt somehow turned into a faster pace. And I began to pick up my pace. Fortunately, I had somebody there encouraging me along the way. Now, it's kind of funny because I was in the pain cave. I was hurting. Every step hurt. My foot felt like I might have a broken bone in it. My stomach was all messed up. My head was a little screwy because I'd been exerting myself all day. This guy was riding next to me on a bike, and all he'd been doing all day was like sitting on this bike and kind of hanging out. So he was really like chilling out. And there I am struggling, and I'm 
it's painful, and he's just like talking to me about what's going on and, you know, telling me. And, you know, it's kind of a funny moment. And it reminded me in that moment of what it's like in the church. Lawton was hurting when he, as he described it in his story. But fortunately, there was someone like Emery who was coming along and could, could encourage him in that dark moment. Paul tells the Thessalonians here to take the story of the inevitability of the day of the Lord and the, and the encouragement that those that are in Christ have a hope of salvation. Take these words and encourage one another with it. And you know when we need those words most of all? It's when we're hurting, when we're struggling, when we wonder whether or not it's worth it to try to get to the finish line. And, and here, here's the thing. I don't really think Jesus died on the cross so that I can complete an Ironman. I don't do an Ironman and like quote verses to myself the whole way. I, don't, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Although that's really popular to do. That verse is actually about being poor financially. Um, so that's another conversation. And, and so what I do, what I, what I thought about in that moment was how Christians oftentimes, they accept salvation and then they see the finish line. And so they kind of just begin casually moving towards it. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to live like that. I don't know about you. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to pastor a church with people like that. Um, I want for us to say, you know what? It hurts. We need each other. We need encouragement from one another. It hurts, but we keep going. So I begin to, to run. And um, I look funny running normally. And, and I begin to run. The last mile, I sprinted. I ran as fast as I could. And I'm going to tell you how good it felt. I, I passed probably 40 people. And people were like dragging, and I'm just like, you know, I'm running. And the people, and the people are just going crazy. I mean, I just imagine this is what it's like when you get to your job and you have one of two options. You can kind of like casually move through your Christian faith with your coworkers or your neighbors. Um, but when you really say, you know what, I want to live for Christ. I want to live like the day of the Lord is just tomorrow, then it's like the angels of heaven and Jesus himself is cheering, yes, yes, you can do it. I mean, I was running. I had three women propose to me. I confessed that to my wife. They're like, will you marry me? I'm like, no. And you know, keep running, you know. And I'm running for that last mile. I ran probably in the eight minute mile and that last whole mile, which is like way fast for a big boy, fat boy run. And, um, and I run and I cross that finish line and I heard those words, you are an Iron Man. And then they gave me this. They gave me this medal. They put it around my neck. Yeah. And then they took me to the medical tent. <laughs> True. And let me tell you something. That is so small. That whole deal is so small compared to the greatness of the day whenever you and I will stand before Jesus on the day of the Lord. He won't be saying, you are an Iron Man. You know what he'll be saying? Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the race that I want to be about.